Hello, and welcome to the Sporting Max Podcast, where we take a snapshot of the current sporting world. Today's episode is made possible by Beckin, Melbourne's leading concrete placement specialist. Here is your host, Max Becker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sporting Max Podcast, where today we're joined by A-League, NRL, and AFL coaches mentor, John DiStefano. Welcome, John. Thank you, Max. Uh, nice to be on your show. So first of all, John, what do you do? Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, different, Max. Um, I work with uh, coaches, uh, coaching groups, yeah. um, football departments and uh, clubs. And uh, what I do is focus in on working together with them and uh, working on their performance uh, in any area, in all areas. Yeah. And uh, with the aim of um, really maximising their performance and um, yeah, trying to get better and better and better and better. Tell so, me yeah, it's a, so that's, that's basically it in a nutshell. Tell me a bit about growing up in your childhood. What sports did you play and where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in a, um, a fruit and vegetable town called Shepparton where the SPC is. Um, and it was a great place to grow up because it was big enough, um, you know, to have all the sporting facilities and uh, a really good football league and and all that. And uh, I was really football mad, uh, yeah. sports mad. I was uh, played a lot of sports, played a lot of footy and basketball and cricket and whatever. Except Everything. I didn't play soccer. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I grew up. And uh, yeah. Um, Loved sport and played a lot of sport. How did you fall into mentoring coaches and leaders? Yeah, it's a bit of a long story, but if I can shorten it, um, I I got to I got to uh, I had a dream of being a, a, a VFL footballer in those days, and um, I got to uh, Melbourne Reserves level, um, but I had a, a degenerative back and. Uh, after three years in Melbourne, um, I couldn't play any longer because of yep. uh, this condition I had. And uh, and then uh, when the dream was over, I sort of started, I found a job, worked and worked some jobs, and then I decided to go to uni. And uh, from uni, I went worked at a company for eight years and uh, learnt a lot. Um, but I was always very... Uh, I didn't feel like I was doing what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and then one day I took 12, uh, 12 months off and had a good think about things and I said to myself, I might start my own consultancy business. So I had eight years in the corporate world and I said I might start my own consultancy business. So I did. And uh, it was focusing on the corporate side of things and then one day I said, you know, my, my passion is sport. Uh, why don't I try and see if I can also um, venture into the sports industry, see if I can get some clients in the sports industry. And um, I said, well, what am I going to offer? And uh, what it, uh, in the end, what it came to was, um, well, geez, no one's really focusing on the coaches. Everyone's focusing on developing the players, working yeah. with the players. So I thought, 
well, maybe the coaches might be interested. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I sent uh, some, uh, some stuff out there to certain coaches and it took a couple of years and Stan Elves, who was coaching St Kilda at the time, was really interested. What year was this? And this, this was a good question. This was around 2002, 2001. And he said to me, well, listen, at the end, at the end of the season, uh, why don't we get together and uh, work on it, start it off. Anyway, he got, unfortunately, he got sacked in July. <laughs> so that didn't come about. But then uh, uh, either the year after or a couple of years after that, Neil Danaher uh, was interested. Yeah. So I started with Neil in the Melbourne Footy Club and uh, it grew from there. And uh, once uh, what I was doing proved to have some value to the coaches and, and to Neil, and um, I said, oh, I might try another sport. And that's when I approached Craig Bellamy and um, he was interested in giving it a go. And, and then, it, uh, yeah, he evolved out from there. And uh, 20 what years does, later, here, here we yes. are, you know. What does a high-performance culture look like? High-performance coaching look like? Um, culture. Well, yeah, culture. Yeah. What a high-performance uh, That's a good question. That's a very, good, very good question. Um, uh, high, the highest-performing cultures, what they look like is that there's a particular energy in them and they, it's an energy of inspiration where um, the culture or the people in the culture are inspiring each other. So it's a culture that has developed um, to a certain point. Um, uh, it's a culture that's continually developing itself, trying to get better and better. Uh, and it's a culture where the people in there, because they're getting better and better, um, are performing at a high level. And, and like I said, if it's a particular superculture, they're inspiring each other. What are some of these clubs or cultures? Well, um, I was lucky enough uh, to, as I said, um, uh, introduce myself to Craig and Craig was interested. So uh, it was his second year, start of his second year. So um, everyone's pretty well aware of Melbourne Storm now and I, I would say people would be calling Melbourne Storm and Craig super high performers. Yeah and somewhere that's got a very high-performing culture. So um, so for over the last uh, 16 years, you know, um, uh, it's been pretty consistent. Um, it took us a couple of years to get to a certain point and then it's been pretty consistent from then on in. How do you get the best out of people that you work with? It's mm, a good question. Um if we're working at the highest level, okay, um, which means that um, I'm, in a sense, embedded at the club or with the person, yeah? Yep. So what happens is I'm doing a lot of observation. So I'm, I'm embedded at the club. So, for example, 
um, let's say uh, Monday, I might be I might be in a review meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Watching the coach, watching the coaches in action. Yeah. And then they might go out and train, and then I might watch training, mm-hmm. and I watch how the coaches perform in the training, and how the team performs, um, mm-hmm. and then. Um, this happens during the week and then it might be uh, uh, game day and so I'm there game day, pre-game, watching the coaches, observing the coaches, um, not judging them but observing them and then uh, might sit in the box and watch how the, the game evolves, watch how the coaches are performing during the game in the box and then go down at half-time and uh, again, observe them, observe their performance, um, and and then post game as well. And then during the week, we will get together, myself and say the coach or myself and the coaching group, and we'll have a feedback and development session. And in that, we look at what they did really well, what they performed really well in, uh, and we'll look at where's some areas they can get better at. Um, some processes that, that they can get better at or maybe I might introduce a process that they don't know about which will enhance, develop their current processes, whether it's presenting in, in meetings, whether it's um, training, uh, performing a training, uh, game day. So it, it all depends. So from observation, watching them perform, um, I'm recording, I'm collecting all this information yep. and then we get together and we go through it. We review it and then we look at what's really going well, what are they good at, what are they strong at and how do we keep that going and then where's some areas they can get better at or work on. So hopefully that's taken their performance to a consistent level and even to a higher level over time. And hopefully that translates across to the team, from from coaches to the team. Uh, I know you spoke Does that make about sense? yeah, yeah, makes make complete sense. Okay. Uh, I know I know you spoke before about like the, your first opportunity as a coaching mentor was with Neil, but like how did that opportunity like present itself to you? All right, so yeah, that's that's a good question as well, and it's an interesting story because. Um, before I approached coaches, I was pretty well aware that coaches are receiving, you know, each week letters and emails from, you know, this person or this company saying, listen, I've got something for you um, uh, which will, you know, make things better or give you that edge. And so I said, geez, how am I going to – and I was pretty well aware that a lot of footy clubs were just um, – putting those aside with vetting things and uh, not many people were getting through. Yeah. So uh, I thought, how am I going to make an impact? How am I going to surprise them, get them to want to meet me? Because that, oh, that was the yes. first step. How do you get into the door? So this might sound a little bit crazy, but so what I did, for example, for Neil, um, there used to be these things called uh, plastic footies. Yeah. 
Yeah. They were sort of brown or red plastic footies in my day. Um, so I got one of them and in Texter, I wrote my letter on, on the plastic footy. And then I put Smart the plastic way. footy. What's that? Smart way. Well, yeah, well, it was something different. And I put the plastic footy in a gift box and I wrapped it up and I would deliver it to the club, to the, the reception area. So if you could imagine uh, uh, when the coach gets this gift box and opens it up and there's this plastic footy in there, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, and then he, he reads it. And uh, it was pretty successful because uh, it didn't mean I, I got to, uh, in the door, but I generally got to meet a lot of coaches before Neil was the first coach to take it on. And with Craig Bellamy, I did a similar thing where um, I got a footy boot um, and I put the letter in the footy boot, put it in a gift box, uh, wrapped it up and, and delivered it as well. And same thing, um, you know, I said I'd ring him in two days and I got through. They put me through. So, yeah. So, um, and uh, the footy was always in Neil's office, always in Neil's office uh, on top of his locker. And uh, when he decided to leave Melbourne, he, uh, he put a message on the footy and gave it back to me. So it was a nice little uh, gesture, so... Yeah, that's how I got in the door, Max. That's, uh, I had to do something different. Yeah. What did Craig Bellamy do to make himself stand out from all the other coaches at the Storm? I think, uh, uh, well, usually I, I work with the coach first before I start working with the coaches or the coaching group. Um, I think Craig, one of his, uh, I think he sort of, his ego wasn't, um, big enough to sort of say, well, um, I'm happy to learn or take this on and, and uh, see if I can learn from it. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons why he stood out. He was open to doing that, you know, where a lot of people in, in that sort of position, whether it's a CEO or a chairman or president or coach, they're expected to know everything, you know, so yep. have all the answers. But there's coaches and people out there that sort of say, you know what, maybe this, uh, I'm open to this and I'll, or I'll make myself open to this and let's see where it goes, you know. So I think, one, he was open enough. And then, two, um, he, we really worked really well together and, and worked um, it's quite an intense performance relationship, and uh, so he would he would keep stretching himself. Oh. And Neil too, you know, he would put himself into challenging positions that he or things he'd never done before, and and he wanted to get better and better. It was the third thing, you know, someone who wants to get better and better. From a and coaching so what, from a coaching yeah. point of view. Um, what does he, he do as a coach to make himself stand out from the rest of the coaches in the league? Oh, I think yeah, that's a good question. How do you make yourself stand out? Well, I think it's, I think it's an evolving process. Um, 
I think, um, well, obviously results make you stand out um, from everybody else. Uh, but I think it's your um, it's your philosophies or your values. Um, and one of Craig's values is uh, to do your best all the time, to try to do your best, and to work really, really hard, really, really hard. So I think he all those values and all those things that he does in the end will make you stand out. What was so, like Craig Bellamy's personality like? Because you know how, like when he's at games, sometimes you see him at half time or when something's gone wrong near the end of the game, he's like throwing on like maybe a paper or something, getting a bit angry, yeah. tempest flying. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, a lot of coaches are emotional because they care and, um, you know, it's it's a performance industry, so they're judged on their performance and they care about their players and they care about performance and they care about their performance. So, you know, a lot of coaches are emotional in the box and I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, sometimes I've been asked to see if I can change that, but I've never really tried to change that in coaches. And, yeah, he's really emotional and um, he really cares about his performance. And um, um, so, yeah, you'll see a lot of that from Craig. And, yeah, I remember when I first started with Craig, um, I used to sit in front of him at Olympic Park and it was quite a small coaching box and uh, he would go, you know, he would, uh, there'd be times when he'd be, you know, as you said, pretty emotional or, or going off his head and I was sitting in front of him and all I could feel was all this spit and saliva <laughs> in the back of my head and I, I remember saying, Jesus, what am I doing? What am I doing this? But, uh, yeah, things got better over the years but... Um, we got better coaching boxes. But, yeah, um, they're, they're pretty emotional. So some coaches are very, very emotional in the box. And, and uh, if, it, if it's part of them and it serves them well and it doesn't take away from their performance, I don't see a problem. Yep. For example, um, Neil was crazy in the box, crazier than, Neil, than um, Craig Bellamy. But then when he would step out of the coaching box, he was calm um, he was um, uh, focused and players wouldn't know any difference when he went down. So, you know, for example, Neil had that ability to let his emotions out in the box and then be able to, you know, change or transform when he's with his players. What was it like in a high spoken of it, of environment at the Storm? Um, at, at a high performing environment? At like a high-spoken-of environment, like everyone speaks like really highly of like Craig Bellamy and the Storm. and Yeah, yeah, gotcha. It's, um, it's, a, it's a great place to be, obviously, if you can imagine the energy in a place. Yeah. You know, the energy is uh, – it's a really buzzing energy. It's a really um, happy energy. It's a focused energy. Um, um, so it's a, it's a, a great, good feeling. Um, the other side of it is um, that it also provides a lot of pressure because when you're at, up, at a high level or up near the top consistently, um, there's a lot of expectation. Um, so it can also provide a lot of uh, pressure um, and outside pressure. 
but usually it's yeah, it's a really great place to be once you get to that point, especially if you can be consistent with it. So it's a it's a great place. It's its energy place, and because um, a high performing environment means that you can constantly developing and learning. Yeah, it's it's a, it's quite a stimulating place, and. Another big benefit is over the years there's been a lot of um, clubs or teams or, or, or people or coaches or um, executives that have wanted to come to Storm and spend some time there, whether it's a day or a week. And so another bonus is that, you know, you've got all these um, famous people or all these high-performing people who are, yeah. who are at the club as yeah. well. Uh, or you make connections with, and we have a relationship with them now. Um, for example, uh, one one week there's the All Blacks there. Uh, another week there might be Alistair Clarkson from Hawthorne there. So, um, yeah, it's quite a stimulating place. I've got, like, three quick questions about different coaches now. Yeah. Uh, so, first of all, what do you think Brett Radden learned as a first-time coach at Carlton that he will use in his second stint as a coach at St Kilda? Um, yeah, so Brett was a really uh, – he was a new coach and he did so well, you know. Um, he got Carlton from last to ninth and, and then uh, in the finals three years in a row. Um, and he was a, a developing coach, you know. He was a learning coach, uh, same as um, Craig and everybody else. They had to go through those early years. Yeah. So um, I think what he learned, uh, without speaking to him, was um, the importance of relationships with players um, and with and between players and the club. So uh, I think he's learned the value of how important they are and to really focus on those and really develop those between him and the players and him and the club, but also the players and him and the players with each other and the players with the club. So I think that's one. And maybe the other one would be um, keep building belief uh, in himself and in others. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that that was that'd be the two main ones I, from my experience. Second question: What was the trait that you found most engaging about Neil Danaher? Yeah, good question. Geez, you got some good questions. <laughs> Are you going to be the new, uh, the next Bruce McAvaney? Oh no, I hope not. I don't want to be that short. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be. I'd next? rather be BT. But okay, the next yeah. VT, good stuff. <laughs> yep. um, what was the what What was the most important trait? Did you say, or the most? Yeah, the most engaging trait about Neil Danaher. About Neil Danaher. Yeah, good question. Uh, I think the most engaging trait about Neil is his ability to have a laugh. And create create laughter yeah. and humour, you know, um, yeah. during times of the week and post game, and uh, that's a big one. Uh, 
because, uh, you know, when you're having a laugh, uh, you're feeling good, it's quite funny, you connect, um, you enjoy yeah. the moment. Yeah, so that was one of his – he's got a few. He's got a few, but that was one of his main ones that come to mind straight away, which might sound strange in a um, – in a performing in a high performing environment, or in an environment like the AFL, but yeah, I mean, not that he was doing that all the time, but it was one of the most engaging ones. Uh, he was quite a funny man. Yeah. Third question. Yeah. What do you think stood out to Brisbane about hiring an older age of coach of Chris Fagan? Yep. Yeah. So um, Neil. Uh, plucked Chris from Tasmania, as we know, and he's a teacher. Um, and you could tell that Chris had a lot of um, sporting emotional intelligence already, you know, at a young stage. Um, and he was a, a smart coach, an experienced uh, football brain as well. So he had like a an older football brain already um, and he was a, a bit of um, uh, a bit of a rock as well um, for Neil and obviously and for Alistair Clarkson so I think over time um, Chris evolved and got better and better and his knowledge and wisdom grew and grew and grew and grew um, and he was a high performer you know he was a high performer right from the start. And um, so um, I think he's become uh, someone who now has a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of wisdom, and then through his capabilities um, that have got better and better and more experience, he can, he can apply that at Brisbane now, you know. And so if you look at his... Um, Apprenticeship, for example, you know, he's done uh, from assistant coaching to senior assistant coaching to um, developing players to general managers of football um, to, uh, you know, um, Neil and Alistair's sort of um, right-hand man as well, you know, and he's done football director as well. So he's done a breadth of positions which have all added to make to make him where he's at right now. So I think now Brisbane's really benefiting from all that, if that makes sense. Yeah. What are the similarities that you found from the high-performing coaches? Um, the amount of work you've got to put in. So you've got to be either really passionate or be yeah. able to... Uh, putting that work, you know. Yeah. Um, two is um, be really open, curious, focused on getting better and better, you know, yeah. learning yeah. either themselves, especially themselves. Um, I think that's a second trait. Um, and I think a third trait is... Um, I would say with coaches would be that um, they're really strong on what they want their clubs to be or their team to be. Yeah. 
uh, and what they want the players to be. Yeah. You know. What type so, yeah. of leader? What type of leadership capabilities do you work on with leaders of clubs? Yeah, that's a really good question as well, um, because leadership is such a big area and it's such an open area as well. Um, uh, take a step by step approach with uh, leaders and leadership groups, um, and um, I first of all try to understand from them how they see leading and what they see is important as leading. What what is important in leading, um, and also what uh, they believe uh, a leader is. You know, yeah. so I try to understand them first a little bit. And, and then we try to um, break down um, what a leader is and um, what's needed from a leader. Yeah. And, and, but I make it uh, specific to the situation and the environment and the club and the team they're in, yeah? Yeah. Um, and then we focus really hard. We then focus really hard on, right, uh, week to week, how do we lead? Yeah. And how are we leading? How how did you lead? How did we lead? So we're constantly uh, reviewing and giving each other feedback on our on our leadership performance. So hopefully over time we're growing and growing and growing, getting better and better and better, yeah? Yeah. And we understand how to lead uh, in that situation, in this situation, this one coming up. So, yeah, that's usually the process. But um, and the process needs to be a consistent, ongoing process, whether it's weekly or, or fortnightly. Or, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of one-on-one and there's a lot of group work. Uh, finally, John, what would be your advice to any young aspiring kid looking to get into a role that's similar to yours in this sporting industry? Um. Well, I think it's to you need curiosity. One, uh, so you need the, the curiosity to want to learn and um, uh, want to learn. You know what's needed to what's needed for high performance. Uh, you've got to go out there and um, um, study, research, high performing. Uh, cultures and people, yeah, and understand um, all the factors, all the elements, all the processes, and all the strategies that um, lead or provide or create or develop high performance in people. Yeah, and I would also recommend to try to practice it. Um, Practice all those things uh, either in with themselves or at work. Yeah, um, because that's what I I did before starting the business because I wanted and during the business because uh, you need to make sure that whatever you're providing um, is is going to be of value and is going to take your performance to higher and higher levels over time. Yeah. Well, thank you, John, for being part of the Sporting Max podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been a pleasure.
been part of it, uh, Max, and uh, hopefully being part of uh, a small part of your future, uh, uh, an exciting future over time. Uh, I hope it's provided some value and, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it and uh, great to meet you. And uh, I hope the um, um, podcast grows and grows and grows. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Stay tuned for some more Sporting Max podcasts. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. Be sure to like this episode and follow us on SoundCloud. This episode was brought to you by Beckon, Melbourne's leading concrete placement specialist. 